Everybody? I'm excited too. Well, it's good to see you. Welcome to 2011. Stop it. You don't care. Bursting with fruit flavor this morning, that's for sure. I'm Casey Tiger, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor here at Parkview, and I'm just so glad to be able to to talk with you today about something that's on my heart. And uh, it's been a while since I've updated you on some things with my daughter, which is what I typically use this for. Um, So, I have a three-year-old, and uh, she's now in the princess phase. Anybody else got the princess phase going on? Do you know what I'm talking about? The princess phase, the moment at which you realize to what extent Disney actually owns your soul. That's what I also like to call this. This year for Christmas, she got a Disney basketball goal covered with princesses on the backboard. Really, what connection is there? To, I don't remember in any of the movies, any of them being, you know, having a great hook shot, although I hear Snow White was really good in the paint. I don't know, but... Um, it, it just, it's amazing to me how much she's sort of come into ownership of this to the point where now, uh, she wants to be known as the princess. So we, we'll come up to her and we'll be like, uh, Bailey, can you pick that up? And she'll go, I am Ariel. And I'll be like, cool. Can you pick that up? She goes, no, no, I'm Ariel. So you're going to make me call you Ariel before you do anything that I ask you to do. Yes. I mean, that's owning it, you know, and I, I don't, I don't want to break her heart and tell her, you know, honey, there's really no money in being a princess and I'm not royalty. So that's even worse. But then I go back and I think, well, when I was her age, you know, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. So I, I get it. Like I owned that, you know, I walked around the house and, and I, and I pretended like I was a wrestler and it. You can tell you knew that about me, right? You could just tell from looking. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And so there's a point that comes, though, when we, when we start to realize that this isn't going to happen, right? There's going to be a point that comes where she realizes that she can't be a princess. There was a point that came when I was able to understand that I wasn't going to be in the WWE or that it was F before that all changed. Uh, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So if today I walked around the house in, like, spandex with my face painted and no shirt on, I mean, my wife would... Actually, she wouldn't be surprised, but most people would be really frightened and, and say he's, he's totally lost it. He's completely lost it. And so, you know, you don't want to break your kid's play. But I'm very happy that in our culture today, there are actually some children who have figured out what reality really is. And they have a video, so I thought I'd show you that this morning. When I grow up, I want to file all day. I want to claw my way up to middle management, be replaced on a whim. I want to have a brown nose. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes sir. Coming sir. Anything for a raise, sir. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be underappreciated. Be paid less for doing the same job. I want sunshine blowing up my dress. So there's got to be a balance, right, between being a princess and being the pro wrestler and getting cynical about life, about what it really means to grow up. Because there's something, when we talk about this uh, weekend, we talk about what you want to be when you grow up, there's a difference, right, between being the little kid and owning the dream and being a a grown-up. And and there's even something different about growing up. It's not just about growing older. It's not just about celebrating more birthdays. And just in case you're unclear on whether or not you've gotten older, let let me help you with that and give you 
just a few criteria. If, if 6 a.m. is when you get up and not when you go to bed, you, you have grown up. You've gotten older. If you hear your favorite song in an elevator, it's happened already. If you watch the Weather Channel for fun, if you just turn it on and leave it on, you don't really care if it's snowing. It's, oh, look what's happening out there in the West Coast. If you're the one calling the police because those stinking kids next door will not turn down their stereo, I believe you've grown up. If you don't know what time Taco Bell closes anymore, if dinner and a movie is the whole date and not just the beginning of the date, I don't have to go any further than that, do I? If a $4 bottle of wine is no longer pretty good stuff, you, you may in fact have grown up. So what's the balance between the princess and the dream and the fantasy of childhood and the getting older and celebrating more birthdays and just chronologically getting old? What's the difference? I think the difference is maturity. I think the difference is Growing up in such a way that we can start to handle the stuff that gets thrown at us. There was an author once that says, you are young but once, but you can be immature forever. And we know these people. Some of us are these people. You are young but once, but you can be immature forever. Maturity is what helps us to deal with the day-to-day stuff that happens. It's what equips us to handle everything that gets thrown at us. Now, This is the second year in a row I've been able to speak this weekend, which I think is really cool. This is my favorite time. I mean, and there's a couple other reasons I do that. You know, Tim is getting older and it's getting harder for him to. I shouldn't have said that. Like he's here somewhere, I think. Well, last time he was up here, he said I looked like I was 13, so I couldn't let that go. But I love being here because my heartbeat, my passion, the thing that helps me to get up in the morning and not hit the snooze bar and roll over, the thing that drives me, the thing that gives me life is to know that maturity is possible, that transformation is possible, that you don't have to be who you were in 2011. You are not locked into that. You are not bound to that. There is such a thing as transformation. There is such a thing as life change and i don't just mean kind of the life coach be positive about everything kind of change i mean literal deep lasting soul change it's possible it's probable we can be something beautiful this year rather than what we were we can be something peaceful instead of someone angry we can be something healthy instead of something diseased maybe you saw my job title and you thought spiritual formation pastor what the heck is that anyway like i expected some dude in like a robe with like an 8 foot beard who could levitate and let me just set it straight i tried to grow a beard once it looked like i just needed a bath so it's not going to happen i'm not going to be that guy but the thing about spiritual formation is that every person in this room is undergoing spiritual formation right now we're all doing it It doesn't matter whether we think we are or whether we think we're not. Because we're either being formed into something healthy and something vibrant and something life-giving or something destructive and something bitter and something angry. We're all being formed. My hope is for radical transformation of what we're being formed into, of what we're growing up to be. Because radical transformation begins when we look at life in the coming year and we honestly answer this question. Who do I want to be when I grow up? As I grow in 2011, who do I want to be? There's a great passage in the book of Ephesians. And uh, this is Paul writing to a church in Ephesus. I want to share this with you. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be tossed by, like infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, Paul's talking to a community in Ephesus that has a lot of different cultures that are sort of meeting in one place. And so when you get a lot of different cultures coming together, sometimes there's a lot of different suggestions as to how one can live their life. There's a lot of different pathways. Maybe if you're having trouble with this, you should follow this God. Or maybe if you're having trouble with this, you should follow this line of thinking. Or maybe if you're struggling with this, you should sacrifice this kind of animal or be a part of this temple or this job or this work guild. And what's cool about that is it's very similar to what you and I face. We got Oprah. Still. I know she said she resigned, but she's still around. We've got Dr. Oz. We've got The Secret. We've got P90X. We've got all of these things that are put out there that says if you want to change, if you want to transform your life, here's the direction you take. Just be more positive. Just be more healthy. Just trust more that if you put out good vibes, good things will come back to you. Tell me how that works out in about a year, if that works for you. The thing to catch is that in all of that, Paul sees in his congregation the fact that they're, they're exposed to tons of different ways to do their life. But at the end, he says, ultimately, none of it's going to come to anything. Because the whole point of this Jesus thing, no matter what we've seen in history, the whole point of the Jesus thing is that we all become who we were designed and made to be. We all live into who we were designed and made to be, that the deepest calling of our souls, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, and you can tell me I'm full of it, it wouldn't be the first time, the deepest calling of our souls is to be that which we were made to be, that which we were designed to be. So what is that? Well, Paul calls it maturity. The word there is teleos in the Greek, and teleos typically means perfect or mature or complete. And that's kind of heavy because none of us are really perfect, right? Unless you want to raise your hand and volunteer. None of us are really perfect, right? So, so when we hear that, it's kind of heavy to say we want you to grow up and become perfect, complete. But that's not exactly what he means. Think of it this way. Think of a car with no engine and no tires. Now, don't buy that car. But first, think about that. Think about a car with no engine and no tires. You would not say that it's a complete piece. It's not, everything is not there that needs to be there. So you throw an engine in it, you throw four tires on it, you have a complete and finished car. Now, that doesn't mean that car is going to run. It doesn't mean it's not going to get stolen. It doesn't mean it's not going to break down. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to pay for it and or drive it because some of us really aren't capable of that in the first place. But what you have is everything that you need for that car to operate. When Paul talks about being mature, being complete, he's saying so that you've got everything that you need, every tool, every ability, every possibility to handle the stuff that's going to come up at you in your life. Growing up into Christ so that you can be complete, that the conditions are optimum for you to be who you were born and designed and made to be. So how does that work? How does that happen? There's a, there's a path I'd like to take you down if you don't mind. First of all, we've got to figure out who's in control. 
Growing up means figuring out who's in control. We've got to figure out that it's not us. We have to figure out that we're not the ones in control. I love New Year's, and here's why. My wife and I were having this discussion about whether or not we should actually try and go to the gym in January. Because we'll never get in. Because there's all kinds of people who made the resolution that they're going to lose 150 pounds and they're going to look like the guy on the front of the magazine that they've seen, right? So we're just going to wait until, you know, the third week of January when everybody's finally realized that it's not going to happen and they've stopped coming to the gym and they've gone back to Dunkin' Donuts. When that happens... We'll go back to the gym. And that's why I love New Year's, because 50% of those resolutions never get kept. Why? Well, because we don't have the juice that it takes to change our lives. We don't have the juice to do what it really takes to transform us into who we are supposed to be, who we need to be, who God desires us to be. Because we only do it in pieces. Let's say you stick to it. You go to the gym, you got eight-pack abs, you look incredible, but you're still a jerk. So now you're just a better-looking jerk. <laughs> Nothing has been solved. We just don't have the juice to make the transformation we need. We need to realize we cannot be in control. We will mess it up beyond all recognition. It's God that's in control. And not just God, because some of us got taught that God was kind of an icky dude. Some of us got taught that God was the kind of God that was just waiting for us to mess up so that he could smash us. God was the kind of God who was waiting for us to miss a prayer or a holy day of observance or to say something wrong or to go to a wrong place or to watch the wrong movie or whatever. That he was just waiting for that so he could finally extinguish us from the face of the planet and get on with the people who really mattered. But that's not the God that Jesus shows us. We need to fall in love with the God that Jesus knows. The God who gives life rather than takes it away arbitrarily. The God who rescue, excuse me, rescues us. The God who gives us strength when we don't have it. The God who reaches out to us when we're lonely, when we're lost, when we're broken. That's the God that's in control. It's not the God who's just waiting for us to mess up. If we are going to grow up, like the passage says, into the Son of God, the maturity and the fullness of the Son of God, then we've got to find out whose Son He is. We need to fall in love again with the God that Jesus knows, the God of life, the God of hope, the God of mercy, the God of justice. Now, some of us just need to get the story straight again. We, we offer a class here at Parkview called Starting Point. I, I have the pleasure of teaching that. We walk through the big story of who God is through the Bible. So if that's something that you're like, I really need to figure out who this God really is, I would invite you to start taking that. We can sign up for that on our website. But we've got to get to understand who this God is and that he is in control of what's going on. The second thing is, is that growing up means that we need to know that we're always maturing. We're never finished. We're never complete. We're always moving down the road. We're always growing. The message says this about Ephesians 4. It says, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. There's something about this Jesus. There's something about it. People who don't even like religion, who don't even care about church, there's something about Jesus that makes sense. There's something about Jesus that draws us in. And, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. What is it about Jesus that calls out to us? 
Listen to these statistics from Newsweek, the survey they did of a random sample of people. 79% of Americans believe in the whole Christmas story. So that's virgin birth, magi, stars, animals, Mary, Joseph, they believe the whole thing. 93% of people say he actually lived. 82% believe he's the son of God. That's a big statement. And greater than 50% of people say that without Jesus there would be less kindness, charity, happiness, and that there would be more war. So how do you get this kind of feedback in a culture that is not Christian? That could really care less about Jesus and the examples they've seen of Jesus are awful, some of them. How do you get to that place in that culture? I think it's because... When we see Jesus, no matter what kind of relationship with God you came in here with today, no matter what you believe about, when we see Jesus, something resonates within us. The deepest questions of our heart somehow get answered. The deepest desires of our being somehow find their resolution because when we look at Jesus, we actually see who we were meant to be. We see us 2.0. We see the best version of ourselves. Our design all comes together when we look at Jesus. Jesus is the complete package. He is the ultimate grown-up. Because Jesus was free to love people because he knew the God of love. Jesus was free to call people out because he really did give a rip about who they were. Jesus was free to have a glass of wine and party it up in a wedding in Cana because he knew it could not possess him. Jesus was free to play with kids and enjoy their laughter because, well, he didn't have something more important to do. Think about this. Jesus' whole purpose in the world was to totally transform the world, to save the world from its sin, to give it life, to establish a church, to start a movement that would change and transform all of the world and bring it all back into the kingdom of God. So in the midst of all this important stuff, he actually took time to play shoots and ladders with the little Hebrew kids. Why would he do that? He's got more important things to do. Jesus, get your priorities straight. Get a planner. What's wrong with you? But there's something about those stories of Jesus playing with little kids that deep inside us, they resonate with us. Why? Because Jesus' priorities were perfect. He knew where he needed to be to be recharged, to rediscover joy, to rediscover hope, to rediscover all those things that make the difference, that go from day to day, that give him strength, that gave him life back. To play with little kids is one of them. Now, this is not an easy thing. I can tell you this because my daughter got Candyland for Christmas. How many of you have played Candyland before? It's not all that hard. I actually got beat a couple of times. I was kind of embarrassed. So if you've never tried to teach a three-year-old a board game, can I give you some advice? Plenty of caffeine, possibly a helmet for you. Uh, because it gets dangerous after a while. So my daughter, a three-year-old who's learning a board game, lives sort of in the matrix where, like, reality does not exist, where you can bend spoons and run up walls and things like that. And so when she's playing this game with me, she'll put the card down, and she's like, I'm going to move over here. So she moves, like, halfway across the board. And I'm like, no, no, the rules of the game says that you can't do that. Well, why not? I'm like, because it's, it's the rules, honey. You move this way. And so after about 15 or 20 minutes of this, and after I lost a couple times while she was doing that, I started to get really frustrated. And she's like, Daddy, why can't I do it? I said, because it's not in the rules. Come on. You've got to go... And I forgot, I just lost it, that I was so intense on her playing by the rules, I forgot that she was just playing. 
man, some of us just need to play. The most spiritual thing we could do this year is just to remember how to play. Because here's Jesus playing with kids when he's got all kinds of other there are people to heal. There's lives to change. There's a cross to die on. And what's he doing? He's in the dirt with children. See, Jesus is who we need to be. That picture of who we were always meant and designed to be. The people who are balanced enough to put the important aside and play with kids. We've got to get transformed to do that, though. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. We've got to get our heads transformed, our hearts transformed, so we begin to understand that Jesus is the ultimate set of priorities, that he is who we were meant to be. Now, that doesn't always come through perfectly. Paul even says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies behind, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I press on to get complete, to get finished. I'm not finished. I'm not complete. I don't have all those tools together. I don't know how to play sometimes. But when Jesus is always out there in front, I can always see who I'm supposed to be, who I'm meant to be. That in 2011, I can be who I was always meant and designed to be if I keep my eyes on him. Jesus promised us a huge life, a big and bold and beautiful life, and we're missing it. We're missing it because we miss out on the fact that that's who we were made to be. Now, that's not always easy either. So the third thing about growing up means that growing up means that we have to push through sometimes. We simply have to push through. James 1.4 says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, teleos, and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes we just have to push through. Can I give you the best For me, the best advice and the secret that ought to be told at every church when they're talking about growing up in Jesus. Here it is. You ready for this? You're not as excited as I thought you'd be, but that's cool. You can't try harder to be a better Christian. You can't try harder to be a better person because you're going to fail. This is the encouraging part, the pep talk. You can't try harder to be a better Christian. Let me give you an example. In 2011, I'm going to be less angry than I was last year. I am going to be less angry than I was last year. I promise I am not going to be the same person I was last year. I'm going to be less angry than I was last year. Dude, look at your fists. You can't try harder to be better. It's the same thing as... The New Year's resolutions. We don't have the juice to do it. Do you know really why? You want the best example of that? Chocolate cake. Chocolate cake. Now, it doesn't matter what I say from now on. It doesn't matter how eloquent it is, whether I've got pyrotechnics or if I do backflips across the platform. It doesn't matter because some of you now will not be able to get chocolate cake out of your head. Some of you are already stirring it in the bowl. You're there, right? In your head, you have made a fine-looking Duncan Hines chocolate cake, or pick your brand, I don't care, get a mix. You have made yourself a chocolate cake. 
the harder we try not to think about the things or not to do the things that we don't want to do, the more likely we are to do them. The harder you try not to think about the lust that you've been struggling with this last year that's damaging your marriage, that's damaging your productivity at work, that's hurting everything that you're doing, the harder you try not to do it, the more apparent it's going to be, the more present it's going to be. The harder you try not to be angry in 2011, the angrier you're going to get because you'll continually fail to do it. You can't try harder. We have to train ourselves to be ready for it. Some of you may... um, Remember a running back in the NFL named Earl Campbell. Anybody remember Earl Campbell? Earl Campbell played football at the University of Texas, and he also played for the Houston Oilers. Earl Campbell was a different kind of running back. Typically, running backs try to avoid guys who want to tackle them, but Earl Campbell was not that way. Earl Campbell ran towards people who wanted to tackle him. And he would put his head down and put his shoulders down, and he would barrel through them. And some of the video is amazing. He just crashes through people like a freight train. And he had an amazing career because of it. But if you were to go and see Earl Campbell now, Earl Campbell cannot straighten his back up beyond a 45-degree angle. He spends most of his time being carted from place to place, either in a wheelchair or by the use of a walker. He's 53. His knees are shot. His shoulders are shot. Every joint is fractured and damaged, never to be healed again. Why? Because he spent his entire life putting his head down and running through obstacles. And maybe 2010 was like that for you. Emotionally, spiritually, you put your shoulder down, you put your head down and just try to run through things. I have to tell you, that's not going to last. We can't live that way. We have to train ourselves to be ready for the obstacles when they come. We have to train ourselves to know that, hey, in our marriage, it may be bad because we aren't putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. We aren't seeing what they see. So maybe our prayer should be, God, would you let me see what my spouse sees in this argument? Maybe if anger is what we're struggling with, we don't just need to try not to be angry. What we need to say is, God, remind me that I am not in control. Because all of anger comes from a loss of control. So God, remind me that I'm not in control of these things. We've got to train ourselves Little bits at a time. I ran a marathon last year, which was really fun. But what I was really surprised about was, as I was training for this thing, I was expecting to run a long way all the time. And you don't. You run little pieces. Little three-mile chunks at a time. And I was kind of like, this isn't going to help me. But if you try to run a long distance all at once, your body will declare war on you. It will fight back. It will rebel. It will say, no, 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 no. You sit down on the couch. You have some lays. That's the way it works. You have to train your body to be ready for what's about to come. And spiritually, we do the same thing. We've got to train ourselves to be able to let go of certain things this year. We've got to train ourselves to be ready to play. Play is a way that we train ourselves to release control. I may have more important things I need to do, but right now, Candyland is calling my name. It's the most spiritual thing we can do this year. If you have trouble with this, we do have a class where we talk about a lot of different ways to do that. It's called How to Move from Religion to Relationship. I have the privilege of teaching that. I would love, love to see you there if you're having problems. How do I train myself to do this on a daily basis? We have to get to the point where we start to know what God is thinking and what he wants us to be. And that takes a daily contact, a daily understanding of what's going on. 
One of the things that I'm really excited about, that makes me really passionate, and that helps me to have the perspective on this that I do, is that I know God is a loving Father. That God is a Father who actually gives a rip about you and about me and about what we're going through. And He wants us to succeed. God is not holding the brass ring up saying, jump for this. God takes the brass ring and he lays it at our feet and he says, it's yours. I'm going to tell you how to carry this. I'm going to tell you how to live with this thing. Here's the beautiful life I want for you. And I'm giving it to you if you trust me. Sir Edmund Hillary uh, was the first man to climb Mount Everest. A lot of people know that. So in May of um, 1953... Edmund Hillary climbed Mount Everest 29,000 feet straight up. It's pretty impressive. A lot of people know that. What most people don't know is that in 1952, he tried the first time, and he failed miserably. And right after that, this was the first time anybody really attempted it seriously, and he failed, but they still was a, it was still a, a tremendous thing that had happened. So there was an English businessman's group that invited him to come and speak to them. And so he came into the room and they announced him, and now Sir Edmund Hillary, and the place exploded in applause. Men are chanting his name and they're standing up and they're exploding in applause and Hillary feels like he has failed completely and utterly and totally. And so he walks into the room and onto the platform with his shoulders shrugged and he walks right by the podium where he's supposed to speak. And he walks to the left side of the platform, and he stands there, and there's a giant poster of Mount Everest. And he looks up at it, and he shakes his fist at it, and he says, Everest, you have beaten me this time. But you need to understand, you've grown all that you will ever grow, but I will continue to grow. In 2011, you don't have to be who you were last year. Because there is no mountain, there is no obstacle that God cannot help you outgrow. There is no anger, there is no greed, there is no pride, there is no lack of humility, there is no lust. There is no obstacle that God cannot help you outgrow. So the question is, this year, with all of this talk of maturity, with all of this talk of growing up, my question is still very simple. Who do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to have the servers prepared to take communion at this point. It's interesting to me. I'd love to know the numbers, but we we take communion. If you're visiting with us for the first time, hi. Um, We take communion every week here. And... That means that we have a lot, we go through a lot of the little chiclets and the cups of juice and, and that. And it means that we use a lot of that stuff on a, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis. So I don't know how much we go through in a year. But what's interesting to me is people have asked me, you guys do communion every week. How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it from becoming ritual? How do you keep it from becoming routine and boring? And I think for me, the way that that happens, the way that that happens is by me remembering that because of these two little pieces, because of this cup, because of this bread, and because of the person they're attached to, because of this Jesus, because of this person who I was designed to be, because of this person I was designed to grow up into, I no longer have to be afraid of death. I no longer have to be afraid of failure. I no longer have to be afraid of Mount Everest because there is nothing, nothing, 
that can come up that God can't help me outgrow. So today, as we celebrate, as we take these elements, would you remember that this is the door opening? I don't know if you came in with a relationship with God or if you, you know, care who God is. But this is an opening for you to have the question of who you were always meant to be answered, at least in part. That this bread and this juice say that it's possible to be more than I've ever been before. As the trays come by, there are two cups. Would you take both cups out, hold them? We're going to take communion together. You don't have to be a member of Parkview. If you're a believer in Jesus, we welcome you to take this meal with us. So take those two cups out as they come by, hold them, and we'll all commune together. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful that this day belongs to you. We're grateful that these elements that we're about to take remind us that there is no mountain, there is no struggle, there is nothing we will face in 2011 that's too big for you. Remind us of that as we take these elements together. It's in your son's name we pray.